Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, um, I want to give a note about this Wednesday night. We have VBS contacts. We have a lot of VBS contacts. This is our largest VBS uh, that anybody can remember here this past um, just a few weeks ago. It was about a month ago. And so what we're going to do this Wednesday night for Reach Out, if you worked in VBS, we especially need you here. We have the contact information for a lot of these students and children who came who don't their families don't bring them to church. And if you're a kid, you have to bum a ride or you have to illegally drive your parents' car to church. So this is an awesome opportunity um, to come out. We're going to be doing some connecting with those people, inviting them to come here and be involved in the ministry of Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And let me say a word to our members. Um, ever since I came to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, the, the mantra was from our members who have been here, we want to see young people saved. We want to see young families come to be a part of Rocky Mount Baptist church. We want to see every age group come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but if we say we want to see the church grow, but we never come to reach out so that the church can grow, um, we are a hearer of the word and not a doer, and there is the judgment of God in the Bible for hearers and not doers. Is that is that a good announcement, Lee? Will that work? In all seriousness... Use a sledgehammer. And all seriousness, this happens in church all the time. Like churches, people are like, oh, we're so, we're so glad that, that, you know, the church is growing and we're so glad that people are coming. But it's almost like if you've ever been to a football game, it's amazing. You've got a stands full of 80,000 people that are drinking beer, soda, eating nachos and cheese. It's not actually cheese. It's just warmed up plastic, right? I mean, the worst stuff that you can possibly put in your body. And you're watching this small group of people on the field, like, I mean, go to the point to where they're almost going to vomit. They're working so hard. They have to be put in, in and out every play. Is that too much? Y'all awake this morning? Come on. I mean, they have to be, you know, exchange and say, I'm going in for so-and-so. I mean, they are just working and working and working. And it's very easy for the people in the stands to both criticize and encourage, but they don't have a thing to do with what's actually going on on the field. Let's not be like that. Rocky Mount Baptist Church, people who love Jesus, claim it. When we have stuff like this to reach out, this is crucial. School has just started. Uh, next weekend is Labor Day weekend. And after that, usually for most families, the fall, it gets into a regular form, a regular schedule of activities. So we absolutely, if you remember Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, we absolutely and totally need your help with this outreach because once again, We can say we want the church to grow, but if we don't take any biblical steps to do what Jesus said to do, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, let's just say and be honest, we really don't give a rip. Right? If we don't take steps, so there's that angle, but there is, there's the positive angle as well. That man, it is such a joy to be able to connect and to be used by the Lord, even if we are 
may be people that don't like meeting new people or, or you, you get nervous, whatever it may be. You say, I don't know exactly what to do. We'll have stuff that will help you with all that. There is the Christian life, an angle of the Christian life, to where we go above and beyond what we're normally comfortable with. So I would encourage you to do that and don't limit God. And uh, for those of you that already know people that aren't connected, man, don't stop inviting them. Don't stop sharing the gospel because God will, if we are faithful, he'll continue to do something very special here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And Kyle, thank you for that announcement. Uh, we, we actually had a, a little get together on Friday night and this list of people that are not only members here, but are connected with Rocky Mount Baptist church in the twenties and thirties age group. It's, I mean, there's a ton of people like we actually had to change the room that we were planning on. Cause like if half these people come up, we're going to say, welcome to the young adult Bible study. Go ahead and sit on your neighbor's lap. Cause there, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough room and we don't, we want to promote relationships. But we don't want to promote Awkward relationships, all right? So so here's the thing. We've got a great a chance to do that. And if you're a young adult and you love Jesus and you're saved and uh, you won't come to Bible study because you like to sleep in, that's called the sin of laziness. People are laughing. And God will not bless that. Get up and we've got a great um, children's ministry and they've got children's classes as well so that your kids will be taken care of and taught God's word uh, as well, and there is a huge need, especially when you have kids, to be able to do life and learn God's word together with other people that are in that same life stage. Hey, listen, this is our last message in the Sermon on the Mount. This has gone probably over a year. Um, some may be ready to go on to something new, but man, as we come to this, these last few verses, Matthew chapter seven. In verses 24, 25, 26, and 27, it's almost like we come to the end of this study and we're like, man, it seems like we haven't even really scratched the surface. Like Jesus has given all of these teachings that week in and week out, if we're actually listening to what he's saying, leaves us with this. I can't do that. Like there's no way that I'll ever be able to do in my own strength what Jesus says I have to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if you're new to church and you have heard that the gospel and Christianity is all centered around you being a better person, that's not true. The gospel is to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we'll look to Christ and through what he's done on the cross, we can live. We can live for him. So as we come to the conclusion here, I want you to just read these verses with me. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. The Bible says, and these are the words of Jesus, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who, notice, who hears, so both of them hear. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The main point of what Jesus is getting across in this text is very simple, and that is obedience to the gospel is what grounds our life on a solid foundation. Now, we don't have to be an expert builder to know the importance of a foundation. 
We've all been to the beach probably at one time or another and built a sand castle. And you'll notice with a sand castle that it's very susceptible to the water, really anything, eating away at it. There's no builder in Franklin County that will say, I'll build your house, but you don't have to have a foundation. In Jesus' time, they understood you can't build a house and expect it to last without a firm foundation. So what Jesus is getting at here, he's built this humongous thing, this this idea called the the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, everything from divorce to lust to anger to, to enemies. And Jesus brings it home with these last few verses. And notice what he does. Go back with me to verse number 24. He, he says, everyone then who, what? Who hears. All right. So the guy who builds his house on the rock, he hears the words of Jesus. Go with me to verse number 26. Everyone who, what? Hears these words of mine but doesn't build their house on the rock. You see, there's a similarity between the two types of people that Jesus is breaking down here. And often in church, often in church, we can hear and we can be entertained to a certain degree, but we don't actually do what we hear. And Jesus, right here, y'all catch that? Y'all all right? He's making a distinction saying you can hear the word of God, you can know the word of God, but what actually matters in your life is when you obey the word of God. Notice what he he focuses on in verse 25. He says, the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Also in verse 27, the house that wasn't built on the rock, the rains came and the floods came as well. We're going to look at four truths from this passage. And number one is very clear, that storms will come. Can I get an amen? They will come. We're either in a storm right now or one is coming. What the storms picture here in this passage of scripture is personal or corporate catastrophe. The storms have to do with when everything hits the fan, when life begins to go crazy, and even with Jesus' points about judgment. Jesus teaches us something that we don't hear a lot about in church today. Judgment. Can everybody just say that this morning? One, two, three. Judgment. Jesus talks a whole lot about judgment. So here's what we have to ask the question. Is Jesus telling the truth? If Jesus is actually telling the truth and he talks about judgment and hell and all sorts of uncomfortable things quite often, then we have to ask ourselves the question, why does Jesus talk about these things so often? He's talking about them, especially in Matthews 5, 6, and 7 because of this. And you can make an extra note in your bulletin, the danger of self-deception. The danger of self-deception. If you have your Bibles, you can go back to verse number 15 all the way through 23. You have false prophets. Some are self-deceived. Some look like sheep, but they're actually wolves in sheep camouflage. All right? And then in verses 21 through 23, there's individual people that are self-deceived. Those are the ones that are going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful works? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done all of these things? And then Jesus will say to them, no, depart from me because I never knew you. It's possible to know about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. Now for our our Bible 
scholars here this morning, there's a danger when we come to the Bible of allegorical interpretation. In other words, looking at these stories and seeing an allegory in them. Remember the story about the, uh, the Good Samaritan? Right, guy was on a journey, he gets jumped, he gets beat up, I mean he's almost dead. The priest walks by him, another Jewish guy walks by him, and the, the guy on the ground is Jewish. The people are thinking, well obviously those guys are going to help him out. But who comes by? A Samaritan. Like we don't even have like a white and black racial issue in America. We don't even have an equivalent with the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritan comes and he helps him and pours wine on the wounds and cleans them out, brings the guy to a to an inn and says to the innkeeper, I will pay for this man's medical bills and his lodging. You just put it on my tab. There is an old allegorical interpretation that gets really weird. Like the, the money that the Samaritan gave the innkeeper that symbolizes like the Holy Spirit and the innkeeper is Paul and like all of these really weird connections. That's what we're not doing today. We're not looking for an allegorical interpretation. We're simply looking what Jesus says these things mean. So then you say, well, okay, what does the sand symbolize? Well, the sand symbolize what is not permanent. What is not permanent is human religious and moralistic teaching. Now, some people today have been raised by their parents to say, my goal for you is to be a moral person. I think that we probably knew if we had, if we had more moral people in America, it may roll a little bit better, right? Few more honest people, so forth and so on. But for a Christian to just stop at morality is to, is to take all all of the truth out of the gospel and make the gospel say, well, honey, all that mom and dad wanted you to be is a moral person. Guess where moral people go when they die? If they don't have Christ, they go to hell. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Because you see a moral person, if they are not trusting in Christ, if they've not surrendered to Christ, they're trusting in their own morality. To get them into heaven. And it just can't be done. Storms are going to come. So here's the question for us. What happens when the bottom falls out? Y'all remember the financial downturn several years ago? In 2008 or so. Some people lost 50% of their retirement. In just a small amount of time. What happens when the bottom falls out? If the life is not founded on Christ. Then suicide is a legitimate option. What did Solomon say in the book of Ecclesiastes? He said, everything under the sun, if God is not there, if God does not exist, everything under the sun, that means life without God is absolutely hollow and meaningless. That means a life in which God is totally shut out. There's really no hope. And we have to understand as Christ followers that we are working with and living next to and going to the gym with and going shopping with people who have no hope. They're hard workers. They're building the edifice, the building, their, 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 their house, their life. They're doing life, but there's no hope. They're looking to retirement. And what happens with some people, by the time they get to retirement, their health is so spent, they can't enjoy retirement. And some people who truly retire and they don't do anything, we know what happens once they sit down in the recliner, their health begins to go. Because they have nothing to live for. 
Do we as Christ followers have the compassion of Christ to realize what a hopeless life, not even talking about hell, but what a hopeless life it is here for our friends and our relatives who don't know Jesus. May it be that God changes our hearts. That we don't just build our life. But we look at the people who we love and they don't get it. And we pray for them. Because as far as they know, it's gonna, it's gonna be fine. We've got good weather here. It's too much work to try to dig into the rock. Let me just build it on the sand. So the question for us as believers, as Christ followers, if we've been saved, is what actually drives us? What drives us? To provide for our families, that's, that's legitimate. That's biblical. That is God honoring. But what truly drives us? To go to work, yes, to pay the bills, but so that God will be glorified. What drives us to work out marriage problems for the glory of God so that people would see that warts and all, issues and all, arguments and all, that we love Jesus Christ? The question of what drives us presupposes the question of what is the purpose of my life. Say it this way. What is the mission statement of my life? If someone were to come to each one of us individually and say, what is the mission statement of your life? What would we say? In Jesus, at the very end of the sermon, I mean, if he was a modern day preacher, we would think that he would say, well, thank you guys for listening. I love you. Just go ahead and send in your check and, uh, you know, we'll send you a prayer cloth, right? But Jesus at the very end, this is amazing, mind-blowing, he's still warning about knowing what he says and yet still being self-deceived. So what happens when disaster strikes? For some people that have no hope, they turn to drugs and to alcohol. Some people turn, if they're down in a, a deep, deep depression, they'll turn to self-harm. Of all different strands. Some people, when it all hits the fan, they say, you know what would actually help me is if I had someone who's better than my husband or someone who is more listening than my wife, someone who is more attractive and they'll begin to cheat. Praise God for the church of Jesus Christ, not because we are anything special, but because of his grace in our life, we can be there for one another when it all hits the fan. I was so blessed last week with Kelly's funeral. And, and, and I, heard, I heard a lot of y'all were in Kroger right after the worship service. Because <laughs> you didn't want God to judge you with food poisoning. Just kidding. man. And y'all, y'all brought food. I mean, th- there was food. And, and it was good food. A lot of it was, was calorie-filled food. I mean, you just got this whole table full of desserts for this family that we love. Because the the children had lost their mother. The dad had lost his wife. But you guys were there for them. You see, that's, that's showing Christ. That's real. Not just through giving someone chicken and brownies. But by saying through these tangible things, we love you. And we don't know why you had to suffer. Why your mom died of cancer in her early 50s. We don't know the answer to that question. But what we do know is that Jesus is the rock. And he is mighty to save. And he loves us. 
And regardless if you die in a car crash or your mom dies when she's in her early 50s of a rare form of cancer or whether you live to be 95 years old, we know that Jesus is love and that we will be with him one day. And between now and then, when we have people that are building their lives on sand and they don't know what to do, when the winds come, we are there in the name of Jesus Christ to say there is hope. Please don't ever underestimate the impact of reaching out to people when it all hits the fan. I think I'm these next things I'm going to say, I think the Lord wants me to say them. Uh, most of us know of Robin Williams' suicide. A couple weeks ago, Heath Ledger, incredible young actor, suicide. Some of us have been touched by suicide. I told you the story about a year and a half ago of a former student in my youth group. He took his own life. I have no idea, truly, what y'all struggle with. And if we could just really be honest, we don't know what each other struggles with because none of us knows each other's hearts and minds. But just in case there are some here or listening on podcasts or the radio that are struggling with the thoughts that the enemy has placed there on suicide, there's a great Christian writer, a philosopher named Doug Grutice. And he gave nine things to think about if you're considering suicide. Number one. If you, and we're not talking about the ones who have already committed suicide. We're speaking if you are depressed today, if the storms have come and the floods have wiped away what you thought life was about. Let me give you nine things to ponder. Number one, if you commit suicide, you will cause lifelong pain to those who love you most. Number two, Ecclesiastes tells us that, that it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Simply put, life always has hope if God is real. Number three, you can grow through suffering and even inspire others. If you, like a man that I know, he says, Jeff, it wasn't long ago in my life. No joke, I'm not making this up. He said, I got a 45, 19 and 11 Colt and I stuck it in my mouth, charged the chamber and I felt the cold steel of the barrel against the back of my throat. But it was like I heard something or someone say, wait, Wait, don't do it. And God sent someone across that man's path to share the gospel. Please hold back. And even through your suffering, you can inspire people by your story. Number five, if you kill yourself, your legacy will be one of defeat and not victory. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have the victory in Christ, regardless if it feels like it, regardless of what people may tell you, regardless of what Satan may try to trick you with. Number six, if you give up, you set a bad example for others who are going through pain. Number seven, God calls us in Deuteronomy to choose life. And would you want your last act on earth to be one of that magnitude. And finally, if you don't know what comes after death, if you're not saved, then why would you risk such a horrible outcome? And then he says this, 
I know what world weariness is. Have you ever been there? Like I tried to build the house and it got destroyed. I tried to rebuild again and it got destroyed. I've been married several times and it's just hit the fan. Everything that I try, I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. I've tried to stop. I've tried to stop these things, these addictions, but I can't. And you get world weary. He says, I know what world weariness is like. I know the sharp pain of loss and absurdity, but we must not despair of life. Please get this, friends. We must soldier on under God. If you're going through the dark night of the soul, know that God is there whether it feels like he is or not. And the rock is there. And Jesus can make something beautiful out of your story. And if you're struggling with thoughts of self-harm, I know with students, there is something, at least when I was in student ministry a couple years ago, very popular called cutting to where students explain it this way. They say, my home life is so horrific. Mom and dad fight so much. I have so many problems that I take out a razor blade or a knife and I make small cuts on my arm or my leg. So the attention that goes to the physical pain is takes away from the internal pain of me having to wonder, why does my life suck so bad? Self-harm, all the way to suicide. If you are struggling with that, I am asking you. I am pleading with you. I, this will stay with us, but my number, my email is on the bulletin. I pray, and I pray for all of us, that if God is allowing us to be sensitive, maybe to someone that we know that is going through that valley, that we reach out. Amen? Let's not be so wrapped up in building our own house. Because when the other person's house is destroyed and all their hope was in the house because they had no foundation, they have nothing to turn to. But we know that Jesus is mighty to save. So what Jesus is getting at in verses 25 and 24 is that obedience to the gospel grounds your life on a solid foundation. And this is actually in your notes. This is so cool Uh, for those of you that enjoy the word studies and so forth. Jesus calls the person who obeys him a person who is sensible, thoughtful, prudent, and wise. Basically, it's the opposite of an idiot. Jesus is saying, when you hear my words and you obey them, You are grounding your life on the rock. Let me give you several texts. Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 11. We're talking about what is the rock and what does it symbolize. The Bible says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You see, the foundation of our life is not just church attendance. It is in Jesus. Psalm 18 verse 2. It says very plainly, The Lord is my rock. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, little stone. And on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church. And I love this next part. This next part. The the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the foundation is God. The foundation is God. The foundation is the word of God that he has given us. The foundation is the gospel which explains to us what life is all about. And it's such a beautiful thing when you have someone who does a house relocation. 
You ever seen those those 18 wheelers going down the road and like they're actually carrying a house? Like it's a house that's moving on the road. And you have to have the truck out in front with the little flag to say wide load coming through. It's a beautiful thing when people see sand for what it is. The pursuit of money for money's sake alone. The pursuit of fun things to do for fun's sake alone. The pursuit of just relationships or marriage or even family. You say, dude, I don't cheat. Like I don't get drunk and beat my kids. But there's no gospel in the home. What good is it if you're a good mom and dad, but you raise your kids up and Jesus is not emphasized? And they grow up and they get good jobs and degrees and they have respect in the community. But then when they die, they go to hell. That's called epic fail. May God have mercy to us in the church in America to we stop emphasizing just morality and we emphasize humility before Jesus. To where kids know that mom and dad is not perfect. And mom and dad can even get down on their, their knees and say, Honey, mom and dad, we've made mistakes. I'm so sorry. I reacted in anger. But I am a sinner. And I'm trusting in Jesus to help me be what I should be. Instead of some human standard of morality. You see, Jesus spent three chapters laying the foundation. Three chapters laying the foundation. And some of us, we come to that and we say, I could never do that. That's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is to bring us to the end of ourselves, to where we say, I can't. And that's where we look to the mercy and the beauty of Jesus Christ, and we're saved. Obedience is grounding us on the rock. If you're taking notes, there's another parable that Jesus, or another saying that he gives in Luke chapter 6 and verses 46 through 49. It's the same story, just a different twist. And in verse 48, he talks about the man who dug. Notice what it says. He says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Obedience to the gospel. You see, I I thought, like it sounds like you're saved and you're delivered from catastrophe by just doing God's word. Now listen, the Bible tells us very clearly, and if you can write this down, Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And here it is. And saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. So yes, Believing the gospel, which means that you can't be good enough. Believing the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the first step of obedience. And it's not obedience to get God's approval. It's obedience for Him to forgive. It's the entering into that relationship. The first command of Jesus is to repent and believe the gospel. Man, we think that that's so unappealing sometimes, don't we? We're like, dude, if I, so, so what you're saying is if I get saved, my life is going to have to change. Absolutely. But here's the thing, man. When you get saved, everything changes so that you actually want the things you know you should want now, but you don't really want. Have you been in that place in your life to receive, man, I, 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 I should, I mean, I, I should want this, you know, the Bible. I should want the things of the Lord. I should, but I don't at all. That's not saying that believers never struggle with desires. 
for lesser things. But when a person comes to Jesus Christ, the life becomes grounded on the rock. We know that hard work doesn't ground our life on a solid foundation. Every single one of us know that we are one doctor's report away from disability. Do you realize that? We have men and women all across the United States of America. And regardless of what the liberal media tells us, an incredibly, incredibly generous and industrious country. Incredibly industrious and generous. But we have an incredible amount of people that are building their life simply around hard work. What Jesus is calling us to do is say, build your life, which is that is what you pursue. Build it on the gospel. Yes, work hard, but the working hard is so that people can come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, make those good grades. Hang out with people at school, students, but you're doing that so that you can connect with them and you can share the gospel. You see, it's such a change. It's such a beautiful thing when everything changes and it goes to the rock. So the final point, final truth here is very simple. That our life is not grounded. Please don't miss this. Your life, my life, is not grounded on a solid foundation by merely hearing how to ground your life on a solid foundation. And that's where we are in church in general in the United States. We come to church. We're moved by the worship Sometimes we may be entertained by the preaching. And let's just be honest. The Bible is super interesting. Like even if you don't believe it, revelation, dragons, like pits opening up, like most of the world dying in catastrophes. You're like, oh my Lord. Like it's revelation because it's rated R. And man, you can go in the Old Testament. You've got crazy stories about like these, these warriors and drama. I mean, the Bible is amazingly interesting. But Jesus is warning us of the danger of self-deception to where we understand theology, when we can quote the verse, when we can answer the question the teacher asks in Sunday school, but there is no follow-through. And the follow-through is making disciples. The question for us is, what are we doing to follow Christ and make disciples? A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said this, Hearing sermons is a dangerous business if one does not put them into practice. And y'all know what my profession is? I'm pastor of Rocky Mount Baptist Church. You know what I do a lot of? Studying the Bible. Sermon prep. Reading things that have to do with Jesus. It's like the Lord told me this week. He says, Jeff, that can be, that's a blessing. I love serving with you guys. But there can be absolutely deadly danger in the blessing. Because when you're around something, it's very easy to want to theorize about it, even in Sunday school classes. But may God help us that we don't turn this into simply something that we theorize about, but something that we open. And whether we can get on down on our knees physically or not, we say, oh Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. Please speak to me and help me obey your word. It's not hearing, Jesus says. It's simple Basic obedience. And for those of us that may be a little bit klutzy, imagine building the house and then having to tell your friend the next day, how was your weekend? It was good. What about yours, dude? My house fell down. 
It's like, what? Who, what? Yeah, I, I, I built my house like it was a good house, but I totally missed that I needed a foundation. And like, Dumb and Dumber Part 4? Like, what is that? Like, who, what? Jesus is letting us know that it's insane to live life that is not grounded on the foundation. And what Jesus is going for here, notice the reaction of the crowds in verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were what? Astonished. At his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Simply put, Jesus taught from his own authority because he's God in the flesh. But let's be clear. Jesus is not simply wanting to amaze us. Rocky Mount Baptist Church, everything from our children's ministry all the way to the music and the preaching, our intent is not that we would leave be like, man, that was a, that was a good sermon or that, that song was very moving, but so that we would simply obey. And when we obey, it grounds us to the rock. Jesus is not for putting on a show. The point of the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is not just teaching ethical guidelines. Jesus is giving truth so that our hearts may be changed. It's as simple as that. You say, Jeff, how is the heart changed? The heart is changed by surrendering to Christ, to the Lordship of Christ, to where it's no longer simply something that we say, but once our heart changes, he gives us the strength to be a man and a woman of God.